Welcome to the Press Pass Podcast. I'm Kyle Coster. My guest today runs sports TV ratings. His name is Robert Seidman. He is one of about 40 people who's interested in this stuff along with me. <laughs> and I've been a little lonely because the guys who used to love ratings are no longer with me. So I, this is how I'm getting my fix. Robert, ah. the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm, you're, you're taking a, a big momentum come down after the great Brian Anderson, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you got to ease you wean yourself off that. I mean, I think that like there's stepping stones. I got no idea who I got next week. It's probably going to be pretty depressing. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, I think that people know you from the numbers, from the witty comments on Twitter and, and from your ability to put numbers together along with commentary. And I think that you're a valuable voice in this conversation. My question for you is, how did this all come to be? So uh, with a friend of mine, I, I ran a website, which is, I think, now defunct, called TV by the Numbers. And uh, we ran that for seven years, and then we sold it to, uh, to Tribune, uh, the, the TV side, not the newspaper side. And right when we were winding out of that, um, I was like, ah, you know, I kind of want to stay connected to the web publishing world. And so I first I launched a website, sportstvratings.com, and I, uh, for several years, tried to uh, post the daily cable sports ratings for all the cable sports networks. And uh, and I did that for several years, and then and then uh, Nielsen managed to pull the plug on me being able to get a hold of that data, and that went away. And so now I'm a, a, a TV rating, sports TV ratings enthusiast on Twitter, mostly. So going back to this, how did you how did you see that there was um, nothing in the market that was doing it? Because I think it's a, you know, it's not a totally unique idea, but I think that the way you approached it was was different than everybody else. So well, I mean, there there wasn't like a total void of sports TV ratings, you know, via various sites, including TV by the numbers. But the one thing that didn't exist anywhere, I mean, there's a, like a lot of fan factions for various things, whether it be. Uh, you know, uh, MLS games that run late on cable or, you know, some, I don't know, horse racing on NBCSN. And I get a lot of requests, you know, one-off requests for that kind of thing. And so my original thought was put all that together in a place where, where all those numbers are just everywhere. And rather than having to, you know, field questions on Twitter, I could just, you know, point them to a link and everybody could get whatever they wanted. What have been some of the topics sports or shows or narratives that have been the most contentious over the years with people who follow this stuff? Um, you know, so when the, when the NFL ratings were in decline, uh, that, that was pretty contentious because, you know, the narrative around the decline, I'm not sure if we'll ever get to, you know, what was really the reasons for the decline. And there were a lot of different narratives from the election to the stuff going on with Kaepernick. And personally, I never really bought that, you know, like people were tuning off in droves because of of, of Kaepernick. Um, I just think there were other forces at play. So that was pretty contentious. Um, one that uh, it's it's definitely waning right now, uh, which is in, kind of more amusing to me personally, but um, it gets pretty contentious as far as I can see is the uh, sort of the NBA fan versus the NFL fan. And so for, you know, when the NFL ratings were going down, the NBA fans were kind of all over, uh, you know, the I think it was uh, Mark Cuban who said that, the, you know, that the pig pigs get fat and then they get slaughtered and that, that the NFL was getting greedy. And a lot of the NBA fans ate that up while the decline was going on. 
Um, and then, you know, sort of the turnaround is the NBA ratings are declining and the NFL ratings are going back up. And so um, that, that's been one of the, the interesting things. More interesting to me is just sort of what's going on with the, um, the overall cable landscape. And uh, so today, one that I consider pretty contentious is, you know, Rich Greenfield is out there uh, agitating the, that, uh, you know, the cable providers are going to demand that ESPN give them their money back. And uh, while I totally support the idea that none of the cable networks want to pay for ESPN right now, or even what they're paying for it in general, uh, even when there are sports, I can't see a single one of those companies saying, okay, ESPN has forgiven us payments, so we're going to deduct $10 from your bill. Like, I just don't see that happening. And uh, uh, and, and so that, I think, is uh, one of the bigger business stories right now. It's like, what's going to go on with no sports? How do these networks, you know, continue to make the money? So yeah, we'll see. Hearing, we're hearing a lot about supply chains, whether it be food, whether it be, you know, product X. And I guess that exists. In, in, in sports television too, no sports puts uh, a, a kink in the chain above and, it, and yep. everybody's trying to get paid. And I think it's really interesting how like the butterfly effect spreads out. Um, speaking more broadly though, you, you brought up the, the discussion between the NBA and the NFL fans and ratings fanboys or, or people who root for a particular narrative to come true and say that 14 million people are watching my sport versus 9 million are watching your sport. What do you think is the psychology there when it doesn't directly impact their lives? Is it, is it, is it similar to being just a fan of a team? What do you, what do you think is going on there that engenders that passion with some people? So I think it's, um, it's about either having your worldview validated or invalidated and, uh, in general, you know, I don't think that's a great idea, and especially with TV ratings, I think it's a lousy idea. But like one thing I noticed very early on, we when we launched TV by the numbers in 2007, and one of the first things I realized was that there are like some people who were fans of lower-rated shows, and they would sort of jump to the the thinking that. Um, low ratings means their show sucks means they suck somehow. And, uh, I, I think there is that psychology out there and, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it to be honest with you. But conversely, what, what do you think people can get out of it? I mean, like, like, let's look, let's look at it. The, let's look at it in the purest form, the most harmless form. Do you think that there's a way to consume it as validation that these people uh, are, are, are have hitched their their uh, fandom to the right wagon? Is it is it about being like in style? What's cool right now? What's what's the best interpretation we could we could give someone who ascribes importance? So I I mean I. My my personal viewpoint is, you know, the the reason to look at them is largely because they're available. They're generally available the next day, so they're sort of like a report card, if you will, or a uh, a standings of a sort. And uh, you know, you check check it like you check a box score. Um, but I don't I don't really read much into, um, uh, you know, sort of the the aspect of validating. But I mean, it it so it it does like so for example. Um, we, we just had the NFL draft and, uh, you know, the ratings were available the very next day and the ratings were very, very good. And so, uh, you know, the way that I consumed that was well, one, I was like, wow, I was wrong. Cause I didn't really think there was that much pent up demand, uh, for uh, what I would, I guess I would call event television, not really sports, but sports related, sports related content that was a big event. And, uh, 
And there was pent up demand, clearly, I think, uh, you know, that plus people just being at home, more people being at home uh, really did did bolster those ratings significantly. And so, I mean, I think it's interesting to be able to see that stuff, but, um, you know, but only in only in the way that, you know, the info is there because like nobody thinks the NFL is getting canceled. doesn't matter if the ratings go down 10 percent. Right. Nobody thinks, OK, they're just going to cancel the NFL. The ratings are no good. They're out of here. I mean, I don't think anybody really believes whether it's from a draft or from the games that they're going to be able to, you know, make some kind of a statement like that. So. Um, I, I kind of take them for what they're worth, which is, you know, data that's, you know, that's sometimes interesting to, to ponder on if you're uh, a, either a ratings nut or just kind of a stat nerd. Yeah, I think that the, for me, that you can put an empirical number on something to either, you, you know, to quantify whether it was a success or whether it was a failure just on, on attracting eyeballs and then compare that against what you thought was going on based on whether you consumed it on Twitter and you were going to see maybe that is not representative of, of the larger group as, as a whole. But I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that people can look at these numbers and spin them, it seems like. And there's whole, there's whole wings uh, in, these, in these massive networks that 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 will noodle together something that presents their information in the most favorable light. Uh, what are some of the the most clever tricks of the trade you might see, like in a release, uh, trying to spin a bad number? Uh, okay, so they'll like the when they had the opportunity, like when the same thing or whatever aired on that same night a year ago was even worse. Like they'll go, you know, up. 40%, but, you know, maybe up 40% over something that's very dreadful. Uh, one of uh, Mike Mulvihill's at Fox's favorite tricks is, uh, and I like this generally, because like when it's about the NFL, he's he's talking, in, or, or, you know, major sports, he's talking about billions of billions of minutes. But, you know, he'll, he'll sometimes like when something goes from like 100 million minutes over, I don't know, 60 hours of content, which isn't, isn't that big of an average viewership to 300 million or 400 million minutes of content over that. It's also not, it's a big increase, but it's still a kind of a very small average viewership. And he'll, you know, he'll kind of mask it in the, uh, in the millions and millions of minutes. Uh, and so that that's one of them. Um, I think the one that, that just kind of rankles me because like the way that all this stuff really gets paid for is is in some proxy of the next day ratings that we see. Uh, there's also uh, what's called the C plus three ratings, which are the, the commercial ratings uh, that, that come out and they include like three days worth of worth of uh, DVR and, and other stuff in it. And um, those numbers um, generally mirror very closely the uh, the next day numbers that you see generally made available, uh, and so one of the things they do is they come out with live plus seven numbers, and then they invented which I think is just horrendous the live plus thirty five right so they take thirty five days uh, of uh, you know whether it's streaming or DVR or whatever, and they and they add it all up, which is I think. You know, for the, for maybe the average person, it's a fine way to do it, right? Because because a lot of people aren't really concerned about how much money anybody is making. Like they want to know how popular a thing is, right? So whatever thing says it's the most popular um, does seem to get some attention. Like so, I think the, there's a there's a bigger market 
for actually promoting the, like if you're running a site like the big lead, there's probably more clicks in promoting those live plus 35 day numbers than there is in shooting them down. But I don't think they're like in terms of how anything's going or how well something is doing. Uh, generally, I, I just why wait 35 days when you can get the answer the next day? Well, as we've seen with uh, current events in society, very little can change in 35 days. So they're, they're very helpful <laughs> figures. Uh, I, I really enjoy the release where it tells me, or I, this is usually not a release, this is usually something you'll see uh, on Twitter is how many times something was mentioned or tweeted about. And, and it's like, it was tweeted about three million times. And I always sit <laughs> at my desk and I'm wondering, is that a lot? I mean, it seems like a lot, but what's the... Uh, What's the numerator? What's the denominator here? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. I think part of it is is to just it, to be floated out there to be retweeted without context. So it's people exactly think, think that it's like you know if you see that information that someone's giving it a platform or 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 someone in the know retweets something. This happens to me all the time. They retweet something. I'm like, well, that's obvious. That must be significant, and I can't understand why. But they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have sent it out if it if if it was meaningless. So I think it's really interesting. The two things that you mentioned, I do have to give you so much credit for nailing your predictions, both on the NFL draft and the documentary. <laughs> You've been on a real a real heater lately, haven't you? Uh, yeah. So I I vastly underestimated the uh, sort of the everyone being at home and there not being any sports content. Um, you know, in the in the case of the Last Dance, and which, and by the way, I want to say, even more remarkable to me than the first week's ratings were actually the the second week's numbers because the, you know, the it's 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 not unusual, you know, for a multi-part series like that, you know, to see double-digit declines in the, uh, it, you know, not only in the the second episode but certainly the second, third, and fourth week, et cetera. And the second week numbers, I think. You know, they they were they were down, but only the tiniest uh, bit. So the uh, uh, the the number of people who are actually consuming that content as it airs uh, has held up pretty pretty steadily, and I find that very impressive in this day and age for something that's not actually live. And and you could theoretically watch that in two years, and it's not going to be it's not going to be any less enjoyable to watch. I mean, it's it's footage from 20 years ago as it is. Or twenty plus years ago. You know what's interesting is is you look at these numbers and six point one for episodes one and two, five point nine for three and four, or whatever you have. I'm sure you have better information than I do. I think those are the averages of of both nights for both episodes. Well, th well there you go. Interesting, not included. I'm not one of those people because I I haven't been able to watch. I I got I got a lot going on. I plan to go back uh, and be one of those. Uh, within the 35 day. And I just started to see kind of a groundswell here today. I think that the anticipation for this series was unbelievable. And it was hyped to kingdom come even before we kind of got into these lockdown situations. Uh, and I think that he, it, reaching a certain bar was always gonna satisfy people. But I've started to see actually, interestingly enough, and I don't know if it's from you know, people who are professionally negative, uh, online, but I've started to see kind of the blowback to the series and saying that it doesn't really feature all that much original content, and and we're not really getting that the the hyped up behind the scenes looks at look at stuff. Uh, I think that that's probably just a fringe reaction, and there's no reason to think that people are going to lose interest as time goes on. If anything, it might get more as people catch catch wind of it, uh, word of mouth, and and want to see 
you know, the, the ultimate end of this. What's what's your temperature on that? I, I you know, I mean, so I think to some degree um, there were probably some people from the first week who are like, you know what, I can wait until the rest of these episodes have have aired and then I can just binge the whole thing and, and who dropped off. But there were some people who went from the previous week. Wow, that thing really got a lot of attention. I, I don't want to miss out on this, and so uh, I'm going to watch it. And so I think it's you know probably, uh, probably I think the you know the word of mouth effect from the first week kept the numbers up relatively high in the second week. If that makes any sense, it does. Uh, I, I guess my follow up here would be. This is this is something that was a labor of love and super long in the making. And again, we got the stories uh, throughout the release lead up. Of, is it's going to be pushed up? And this was this was chased down as the scoop of the century, yep. which I found <laughs> rather interesting and, and odd too, because I didn't I didn't really think it was it was the biggest news. Obviously, there's an appetite for it, but there's all these networks and outlets, and everybody is really looking for this magical panacea. This uh, this thing they can whip up in the lab to get huge, big, huge ratings or clicks. And, and this is really an outlier. There's no way to chase the tail of this thing. Is there, you can't slap anything together that's going to be uh, as big of a phenomenon or even half as big as a phenomenon, do you think? I, I, I agree with that completely. So my, you know, my rationale when I, when I first made my prediction, and by the way, so the, the, the very first episode, not, not the average of the, of both episodes the first night, but just the first episode, that averaged 6.3 million on uh, on ESPN. And my prediction was like 2.7 million. So like I missed and I and I missed big. And my thinking was mostly, okay, so the the biggest documentary that ESPN, the most watched documentary that ESPN had ever aired before that was uh, You Don't Know Bo. And uh, you know, like that had the uh, that averaged 3.6 million. It was years ago, and it had the advantage of I think it was uh, the the Johnny Manziel draft, uh, or or the, excuse me, the Johnny Manziel Heisman presentation as its lead-in, and so I thought, okay, the TV landscape has changed dramatically since then. ESPN doesn't have as many subscribers, et cetera, uh, and so I didn't even see it topping. You don't know Bo, uh, and so that that it did. Um, I mean, clearly is, uh, is uh, you know, in some ways related to what's going on in the world right now, everybody being home, there being no sports. It may somewhat be related, I mean, to give the man his due, you know, Michael Jordan in his day, I, maybe he wasn't Princess Di or Michael Jackson, but like he was like maybe right behind those guys in uh, terms of being uh, popular in the world. Uh, and so maybe some of it's that, so I, you know, there's just not that many people out there who are like that. So I don't think you can go, ah, you know, let's do a, let's do a documentary about the, uh, 2007 Patriots and, uh, and, and expect that it's going to get those kind of numbers. Cause like, I just don't think you can make, uh, unless you have sort of the exact same stew of events going on, I don't think you can turn it into something that's an event. And clearly, I mean, that's somewhat what happened with the, uh, with the uh, with the Michael Jordan documentary, I mean, I think people are considering it event television. And while you brought up sort of the the, tr the Twitter metrics, which I'm with you 100% on, which very frequently, like what you see on Twitter, does not translate to the TV ratings at all. But in this case, you know, it actually did translate to the TV ratings. 
Everyone yeah. in my timeline was talking about that. I got, I'm so I'm like you for whatever reasons I haven't watched it yet. Mainly I'm like I'm fine with watching it and binging it all at once. But uh, um, I I you know I I didn't uh, excuse me. I'm sorry about that. So on Twitter. Uh, just all the volume of the tweets about that. I'm like, okay, I'm sick of the last dance already. I don't want to see any more tweets about it because everyone has a take on it. But that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, is going to produce those kind of results. It's kind of like people are watching it like a, like a football game, which is another thing that everyone has a take on as it happens. So it's uh, very similar in that way. Uh, you know, or, or also maybe something like a, a, a slimmed down version of the Oscars. I mean, there's just not that many things these days that are event television outside of sports, but the Oscars is probably one of them. Yeah, I, I would imagine this 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 brought in a fair amount of non sports enthusiasts just because it was an event that would that would be my my uninformed uh, hypothesis on it. Uh, the closest thing we'll get to an actual football game for a long time is probably the NFL draft, which I think that consensus is, is that both the NFL and its broadcast partners did a fantastic job doing the blocking and tackling, do, taking this heavy lift. The producers receive should get all the credit yep. for, for, for what they did, and it was a product that vastly exceeded expectations, which is great. I mean, part of me kind of wishes there was a disaster. I think that would have been fun. Uh, I think <laughs> Better was, story, yeah. I think that everybody was kind of hoping for that. And and to see that the NFL was able to take itself even 20% less seriously for a, a weekend was something I never thought I would see in my life. Uh, and, and maybe it, it could be a good thing going forward. And who knows how much of it is, is going to stick. Uh, the number for that, what did that, how did that resonate with you? Uh, so I, you know, I'm, I, I think the, the, the combined three network first night viewing was over 15 million viewers, which, which, uh, uh, my prediction there, not quite as bad as the, uh, as the Michael Jordan doc on a percentage basis, but I think I predicted 12.4 million, which would have been up like, you know, I don't know, five or 10% from last year. And, uh, the first night was up 37%, uh, versus last year's first night. And, um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know, the producers and really everyone involved with the with the blocking and tackling stuff to pull that off pretty much without any, you know, any uh, technical hiccups is, is, you know, it's a phenomenal accomplishment, even with even without the ratings, but that, you know, that so many people were watching it. Um, and my, you know, I, I, so I don't ascribe that like whatever I think about something isn't necessarily, uh, should equate to the ratings whatsoever. So I'm not saying my opinion, uh, influences the ratings in any way, but like, it's just as a, you know, somewhat of a fan of, of, of the NFL draft. And I, you know, I've watched a lot, quite a bit of it in previous years. I really missed having the audience. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, sniping at the, at, uh, at the job that they did pulling it off. But for me, like not having the scene, not having the Jets fans booing Goodell, uh, you know, or not having like, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people live in person booing him, um, that took something away from it for me. Like, I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't like, I didn't find it as cold. I think some people like use the words cold and heartless. I didn't think that of it, but it just, just didn't have the oomph for me. Uh, without the scene. Uh, but that's my personal view. And obviously people are like, well, screw that. Like it's on TV. Everybody's watching. I'm going to watch it too. And, uh, uh, you know, hats off to them. 
I thought it was interesting as someone who doesn't follow the trends as much as you. I thought the the number the WNBA draft posted was a really really good sign for the NFL, uh, and it was just kind of showed the power of hey anything that is live. And I know that the NBA. Yeah, had- but the scale on that was so different. I mean, I think I'm 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 not looking at those numbers right now, but that like went from two hundred forty two thousand to 300 and something like was up it was up big it was up more than 50 percent but the numbers were you know a rounding error versus the nfl draft so i you know um one one thing and i don't want to get too deep into the weeds but like i don't think a lot of people really understand how nielsen is set up and how how it's measured uh and so you know basically they have a panel of about 42,000 households and 100,000 people. And so it works out like each person represents about 3,000 people. And so to swing things by 50,000, you know, that's less than 20 people on average uh, to, you know, to swing viewership by that amount. So it, it, it it's, you know, but to swing something by, you know, 5 million viewers, which is, you know, 3 million viewers, which happened in the case of the NFL, um, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, that's harder to pull off. And so um, I, you know, I think it's great that the the WNBA draft performed as well as it did. And uh, I'm, I'm not spitting on it at all, but I mean, the, the scale of these two events are so different. Like I, I can't use one really as an indicator of the other. I think the Jordan documentary was probably, you know, on a, on a scale jump was probably a better indicator that the draft is going to do phenomenal than the, uh, the WNBA draft, if that makes any sense, just because of the, the overall numbers. How do you, how do you view major events versus smaller events like that? Is, is the, is it, is there bigger victory for a, a, uh, you know, something that gets 15 million to get like a 5% increase, or is it a bigger victory for something that gets 500,000 to, to have a 20% increase? I'll admit I'm something of a scale whore. So like I, my, my bias is probably to think of the, the you know, the big thing that gets a, gets a five or 10% increase than the, uh, than the small thing that gets a 50% increase. But um, both are good stories. I mean, one of the, one of the things let's just kind of circling back on like how fans should think about these things. I think generally, you know, fans should enjoy, this is like, there's so, so much for fans to enjoy and they should just enjoy whatever they like. Right. Cause none of it, none of it's getting canceled. Like the one thing you don't have to worry about is like, if you're a fan of some sport, like I legitimately don't think, even if it's the smallest sort of fringy thing, like I don't think there's much worry about it getting canceled. And so um, I, I say, watch what you love and enjoy it, whatever it is. It doesn't, you know, whether it's, you know, e-racing for NASCAR, which has kind of been like one of the bigger, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic rating stories, um, which is on a much smaller scale than than the, either the Jordan Doc or the NBA, or excuse me, or the NFL draft. Um, but it's still, you know, it's a good story. People, I think the combined, like last week, uh, the combined viewing between the, I guess, the few markets that aired it on Fox and, and FS1, it was over a million again. And so I guess that's over a million people who are watching basically a video game being played on television. So it's, uh, uh, and I, I think we're going to see more of that too. Like that stuff's not, I mean, uh, uh, what's, what's the, uh, the NBA's league NFL 2k, like that's been running on ESPN and that's sort of been like more on the scale of the, uh, of the WNBA draft. 
uh, in terms of viewers, like it's not been doing as big as, as uh, NASCAR iRacing, uh, but like it's putting numbers up at a time when nothing else is on. And I, I don't think any of that stuff is go going away, even even yeah. that. Yeah, and it's it's a golden age of of you know necessity dictating that people get creative and try new things, stuff that never would have tried on t been tr tried on television, and we'll see what sticks. I think it's really it's kind of cool, uh, uh, you know, not, not everything is personally, but I mean, just just to think that you'd be like, oh, there's going to be NBA players playing video games against each other. Now I watched it. Was I interested in it? No, but it was kind of cool. Like, okay, now I know that, right? And I never would have had that opportunity. Two things I want to touch on before we get out of here. We spoke earlier about the pent up demand idea, about how when sports do come back with some regularity, and the calendar is absolutely stocked. Do you think that we're going to see across the board increases over last year, or what are some factors that might uh, put a governor on 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 growth. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's, it, it, it depends on like, does everything sort of come back in stages or does everything come back at once? Like, so if you have all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the first weekend of sports is, uh, NFL, CFB, NBA playoffs from last year, uh, you know, MLB, uh, if you have all of that stuff going on, um, I think the overall demand will be huge. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know about any one particular thing doing that much better. But if if uh, if things are kind of staged in a way, like let's say where the NBA playoffs came back first somehow, uh, I think that would see that would definitely see sort of the the pent up demand pop. I mean, the other aspect of it is, uh, you know, how does it come back? You know, is it fans, no fans, which I think everyone is pretty much thinking at this point it will be no fans. Um you know, I, I I think it it depends on also on how everything else is opening up, right? So if if all of a sudden sports are back, but also you don't actually have to stay at home anymore, um, I'm not sure how that all plays out, right? So like if you can go out to a restaurant, so that will be very good for the out of home viewing. I guess I'd say it that way. Uh, you, you'll see you'll see huge out of home home viewing for sports. I guess out of viewing out of home viewing doesn't account for how many people are actually uh, in the bar at the time, do they? Uh, so no, so the, uh, the way that that's measured is, uh, there's, well, there's different people measuring it differently, but generally the, the way that Nielsen measures that is with something uh, called a portable people meter. So not only does it not measure everyone necessarily in a bar, it's doing projections based on the people that they, they do get measurement for. It's not even necessarily measuring everyone they could measure because it will like only, it will only record if uh, if it's picking up the if the people meter is picking up the audio, which you know in a lot of bars that's not going to happen, and so uh, it's not going to account for the eyeballs of the people who are watching, but can't actually hear the uh, hear the audio. I guess I was just kind of curious what what social distancing, what impact, if any, social distancing might might have on on numbers in public. It sounds like very little. Um, well, I mean, if people aren't going to bars, obviously. So, so for example, um, all, all sports, I think, do, do fairly decent uh, out-of-home viewing. But, uh, you know, NFL and college football do generally, you know, outsized uh, out-of-home out viewing. And um, I think if people are afraid to, you know, to be in packed bars with other people, obviously, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's going to go down. Uh, but uh, out-of-home viewing also picks up uh, 
uh, at least among Nielsen panelists, it picks up like if like if if I was a Nielsen panelist and you brought your family over to my house, it would pick you up if that makes any sense. And so I think if like if if more people are not going to bars but are getting together as friends, uh, the out of home viewing could still be could still be sizable. Uh, but I I mean I think it's so my my prognosis is, um, you know, it's going to be a while. Uh, in the best of circumstances, it's going to be a while before, and I hope I'm wrong, but like, you know, it's obviously like I could be as wrong as I was with my, uh, the last dance and NFL draft predictions, but it seems like it's going to be a while before things get back to normal as far as going to bars and uh, fans in attendance at stadiums. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I've, I've been a, a, a fairly, uh, consistent pessimist since this thing, uh, started going, but I think that when at least it comes to the sports element, I think that these leagues are going to do everything under the sun to tr- exhaust every single avenue uh, to try to get some sort of semblance of, of of game of live event out there. It's my personal opinion that I don't think that you can have a full major league baseball season. I think you can collect forty players, put them on two teams, play a seven game series. Uh, and have that be an event. I think that you sort of exhibition game. Yeah. You can do small scale stuff like that. I I just think that once you schedule a full season and you have a team that's impacted by the virus and it will happen, it's not a matter of if it's when they just, there's, there's no way around it, especially if there's a second wave that effectively has a domino effect that, that all the other teams are impacted because they can't play that team on the schedule and the whole thing spins off the rails. But again, Maybe I'll be as wrong as you. Uh, the so last- what's, what's, what's your thought? Like, are, are you um, – so uh, not college, but pro football, NFL. Are you optimistic that the, uh, that the 2020 fall season will be played in, in one fashion or another? I'm thinking – so you're not optimistic. No, I mean, I guess op- I'm optimistic it's played. I think that for – all the business that it supports, I think that it's very important in this industry. Is anybody who relies on advertising is has their fingers crossed that the NFL figures out a way to plan on on a very human level. Looking at the logistical challenge, I don't understand how it happens. Um, I just, you know, like if testing gets to a point where you can test all these players and you can test everybody involved then maybe I'm not confident the testing is going to get to that level, that it's okay for all of it to be cannibalized by the NFL just from a, you know an, an optics thing. Right. But having said all that, I mean, look, it's, it's the NFL. They put their head down. They conducted the draft even when I said that they shouldn't do the draft, and I was wrong about that. I thought that the draft was fine. Waiting wouldn't have solved anything. Um, and if you look at the worst-case projections for coronavirus it's with us for multiple years so maybe waiting doesn't solve the problem right maybe waiting and not playing this nfl season doesn't solve anything uh it's kind of a it's kind of a depressing way to look at things but potentially we're in there where look we got to get on with our lives we're going to get on with our lives because we can't avoid the bad thing that's that's where i'm at with it yeah so i don't you know i don't know i'm I'm just happy I don't have to make any of these decisions. Like, I don't know all of the variables besides testing, but at least with testing, I hold out optimism, but only uh, for the NFL. 
uh, but only because, you know, like there's three months before they really have to worry about that. I mean, so like, uh, you know, training camps are still three months away, basically. And so um, I, I almost feel like if 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 we're not in a place in three months where they at least could test the entire NFL on some kind of regular schedule, we probably have bigger problems than whether there'll be an NFL season or not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you might not care that there's not an NFL season. So weird times. Uh, I was curious, the thought process of when it, when it comes to, to cable companies, what we talked about earlier uh, in, in that supply chain, the lack of live sports and what, what that's causing internally between entities. Uh, what, 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 what's your take on that whole situation? So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so certain things are like broken out on your cable bill of what you're paying for. Uh, like, you know, in some places, like if you're paying for the RSN, you see an RSN fee. And so like, I can see the cable companies going, well, we don't have an RSN. You, you guys don't have any sports, so we're not going to carry you right now. We're just going to take that fee off of our customers' bills. Um, and I could kind of sort of see that maybe happening, although even that would surprise me a little bit unless the, in, unless we just get months and months more into this. Uh, but uh, for, for networks like ESPN and Fox Sports 1 and, and those kind of networks where the, you know, the, the cost of the network, which in the ESPN's case is, you know, it's the most expensive network out there in terms of uh, what what uh, ESPN charges the cable companies for it. Um, that it's not broken out on your bill, and so like if you're, you know, you see it pretty commonly uh, in the circles you travel in that, you know, the the ESPN networks plus ACC network and all that, you know, SEC network adds up to like ten dollars a month uh, that the cable companies are paying per per subscriber. But that's not broken out anywhere in your bill, right? And so the, you know, the way that I I I, I see a lot of grousing about, uh, you know, I hate hate to use these words to alienate people, force majeure, where like there's just some major event that's uh, causing you to not have sports, and so we're we're going to exercise the, uh, the, you know, force majeure and get out of our contract. Um, I just don't see it, but I, I the reason that I don't see it is because like I don't then see Comcast going, oh. We nuked ESPN and FS1 and all these other networks, and we're knocking $20 a month off your bill. Like, I just can't see any scenario where that happens. And so um, what will be really interesting to see, and, um, you know, I have some kind of indication, but I haven't really seen them yet, is uh, what the cable coverage estimates that come out look like. Um, Because, like, if there's, like, some – you know, everything was in decline already. I mean, uh, the – people subscribing to pay TV was already in some kind of secular decline. And so I think the conventional wisdom right now is that the uh, coronavirus will accelerate, right? So more people will cancel cable, et cetera. Um, But like if I use the last dance in the NFL draft as a gauge of that, I go, well, you know, not so fast. Maybe I want to see what the, what the coverage estimates look like, because it could be that, you know, inertia wins, and, and, you know, that the, the declines remain kind of slow. And uh, if that's the case, um, I, I don't really think you're going to see, um, you know, Comcast saying they're dumping ESPN or anything like that. On the other hand, 
if we're still asking this question in six months, like what do these networks do without sports? Then I think like, you know, the whole, the whole thing is, is, is up for grabs in terms. Cause like, I think there, there's going to come a, a point where like people are going to like, why am I paying for this? Like not just ESPN. Why am I paying for cable? Like if the primary reason that you pay for cable is live sports and you're not getting any, at what point do you say, Hey, I'm not just not going to pay for cable. Yeah, I'm already there personally. Uh, I, same, I, same. By the I way, knocked off the you know the, the the premium sports package, the MLB network, that stuff. I was like those those uh, classic games were great, but it was just an extra extra fee that it, I was not getting my money's worth out. I think that taking that away and giving giving the customers uh, you know a break on their bill, that's macro. It's not going to happen. I think it's happening a lot. I think a lot of people are probably calling and, and doing it in a micro way and saying, look. Uh, what what's the best deal you can make me when renegotiating with their own cable companies? Yep. Uh, and I think that that's probably happening in numbers that uh, that reach a level that are, are putting significant you know impact on on their bottom line. We're just not seeing it. Yeah, um, and that won't. Sadly, that like, if you call up and they go, ah, oh, you know what? We're gonna give you half off for six months, like you know, or whatever the you know whatever the deal is. Uh, that's probably not going to show up in any of the indicators that we'll see. And, and you're right. Like th then, then all of the, all of the grousing that you see in public is really just negotiating like to how to get, how to pay ESPN and, and the other networks less, right. While they make, while we like, what kind of ESPN, what kind of relief can you give me while I'm giving my own customers relief? Uh, but I don't really know how to get insight in like that's data. Like I just don't know how to get any insight on, onto how much that's happening right now. I have one final bonus question from my work slack, uh, <laughs> something we were noodling earlier in the day. I, I was thinking about the rise of popularity of, of gambling programs and daily fantasy stuff and stuff that requires people to conceivably spend their extra money, right? As, yep. uh, as an outlet, um, and we've seen that really explode. And, and everybody's embraced it across the board. When this all comes back, doesn't it stand to reason that any momentum that movement had is going to be absolutely kneecapped as people are focusing more on their personal finances? Um, you know, I don't know because I, I, I don't have enough information that says to me that. So if you take the fantasy, even the daily fantasy stuff out of it, if you, but it, particularly if you take just general fantasy sports out of it, like I don't know how additive um, the the gambling has been to anything. So I don't have anything that says. So in fact, I mean, so the like the the NFL data this year kind of ran counter to the idea that the ratings improvement was due to you know the fact that that more and more states are opening up legalized gambling. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the big factor there to me is until, um, until every state is legal, include, like I live in a state where it might never be legal. I live in Texas and, uh, until every state is not only legal, but can also just do it from their, uh, from their mobile phone. Um, I don't really know how that's going to take off. And so I don't know that relative, like, I think whatever demand was there, before, like when sports come back, I think it will large, like they might be down a little bit, but I don't think, I don't, I don't see a, a big pullback on the number of people who, who were, uh, were wagering on sports once sports comes back. Uh, that's that a better, that's a better question for your old friend, Glass Beagle. Like, yeah, you know, what, what's he going to do? 
That's good. That's good news for uh, one former uh, the big lead, the biggest lead they call them. Um, Robert, thank you so much for spending some time with me, answering some questions, educating me, dealing with my nonsense. Um, everybody, follow him at Sports TV Ratings. Uh, he will give you the most accurate predictions. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the numbers and then you know what though but if he doesn't he will own it in the end yeah i had to own it i, I would have rather not had to own it thank you very much for having me 